0: The reading this morning is taken from Psalm 19, verses 12 to 14, and Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Psalm 19, 12 to 14, and Psalm 139, 23 to 24. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock and my redeemer. 139 23 to 24. Search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be
1: Lord, we uh, thank you for your word, and we ask your blessing on it as we uh, consider it, and as we speak this morning, Lord. May you speak to our hearts. We give this time into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, uh, in a televised response to President Biden's speech a couple of months ago, uh, said this, if we can take a look at that. He said, America is not a racist country. It's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. And the next day, uh, President Biden responded, I don't think the American people are racist, but I think after 400 years, African-Americans have been left in a position where they are so far behind the eight ball in terms of education, health, and in terms of opportunity I don't think America is racist. I just, but I think the overhang from all of the Jim Crow and before that slavery have had a cost and we have to deal with it. We can take that down. I, I found this a unique interaction in our national discussions about racism and that it was actually, you know, uh, constructive and, <laughs> and uh, respectful. I, sadly, it felt like an exception to me in that sense. I did find one part of this troubling, though. They're making statements as to whether this is a racist country without first defining what a racist country is, as if there is a universal shared definition. And this is something happening all over our culture and all kinds of subjects. We like dealing with and assigning labels without doing the hard work of defining what we mean and evaluating whether it applies. When we don't do that, terms just tend to get weaponized. Today, we're continuing our series, uh, Real Worship. It's the idea that real worship happens not in the hour we're together in corporate worship, but in the way we live the rest of our lives. We worship God in our day-to-day decisions and actions. Today, we're thinking about worship in terms of how we respond to what's happening around racism in our country and how we respond to it reveals much about ourselves and what we worship and what we hold most dear. seems an appropriate day to talk about it as we're One year since I preached two sermons on the subject, we were experiencing the most significant demonstrations regarding racism since the civil rights movement 50 years ago. But when I told people I was going to preach on racism this Sunday, many people I told said, oh no, it's so divisive and political. And I get that, you know, and to be frank with you, I'm reluctant myself, but I felt like God put it on my heart and that means, you know, woe to me if I don't. And and I understand that it can feel like we're hearing about it everywhere and you just want to break from it when you come to church. Well, it's actually because it's all over the place uh, is why we do wanna talk about it here. Not all the time, but we should never avoid it. But more importantly, hopefully we can, hopefully, you know, put it in a biblical perspective. And I sincerely think church should be the place where we're able to have differences and have hard discussions, where we don't have to agree, where we can even strongly disagree, because our love is not rude in us having the same opinions about everything. It's rooted in Jesus and what he has done for us. Now, maybe you're one of the people who are glad we're having this discussion, and you don't get why people wouldn't want to talk about it. Well, let me warn you, I may offend those who are zealous about this issue a bit, too. I'm guessing, not intentionally, but I'm probably going to make everybody wince today a bit. But please don't tune off. I think if we can't have these conversations in church, where can we? And I know it can be uncomfortable, but the more you talk about uncomfortable stuff, I think the easier it is to talk about it. I also don't wanna pretend to be an expert of any kind, all right, especially on this subject. I can tell you I've done a lot of reading and thinking, and so I'll give you some of my current thoughts knowing that they are (laughs) to some aspect wrong. Uh, I'm hoping everyone will find something to agree with and think about, but I'm guessing you'll certainly find something to disagree with, but that's the process, right? Also, it may sound like I'm taking a moderate approach saying things that make everyone happy and that I'm not agreeing with either extreme, but that's actually not it. I think moderation is often just being wishy-washy without convictions. I'm not a fan of it. I'm actually a total extremist when it comes to Jesus. It's not about being moderate. It's that I do think that many good and true ideas, when taken to extremes, can actually stop being good and true. Take a good idea like equality, right? That's good. But when taken to an extreme, like forcing everyone to be equal, it can be oppressive and and it will always sacrifice freedom. In the same way, freedom is a wonderful gift from God, but taken to an extreme, freedom to do whatever you want actually not only destroys equality, it creates anarchy. Things can be true at various levels of application, so you have to be careful because it's easy to take a good idea too far. I do think that's one of the things that happens here. Justice, by the way, is one of the few things that you can never have enough of. No country is too just. That is, assuming we've done the hard work of defining exactly what you mean by justice. So with that long introduction in mind, what are we actually talking about today? Well, firstly, I want to talk about a a biblical principle I found helpful as I think about it, as I think about racism, that I I do want to talk and then I do wanna talk frankly about some of the reasons some of us wince at this conversation. So if you are wincing right now, hopefully we can put some words as to why that's happening. And but then we can talk about why it is important and, and why we can't let that stuff distract us from the bigger and deeper issues involved that I believe are close to God's heart. And finally, we'll ask the question, how can we respond? And I'm just gonna make one extremely simple beginning suggestion I think we all can take to heart. So let's get started firstly the biblical principle i found helpful in this discussion you know in psalm 19 which genende read from the psalmist talks about how amazing the revelation of god is firstly in nature then in the scripture uh he says that you know earlier the heavens declare the glory of god the world itself is pouring forth speech about god in the second half of the psalm he talks about how amazing god's word is and how the laws are like honey to his lips you know god you're amazing you reveal yourself you want us to know you but then it comes to this part of the psalm. He like, turns to God personally and says, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. You can feel the psalmist wrestlings with his own heart. He knows how amazing the Lord is in his word. And he feels the awe and love for God. At the same time, he feels his own hypocrisy. He knows there are so many things he does wrong. that he doesn't even know about, oh Lord, forgive me my hidden faults. And then he goes on, And keep your servant also from willful sins may they not rule over me then then i will be blameless innocent of great transgression so he's talking there about the stuff he does know about my willful sins don't let it be our master you know don't let that stuff rule in our life so that we obey it sin can be like that it wants our obedience so in his prayer, he makes this distinction, distinction and says, forgive the stuff I don't even see and don't know about. But I, and, and don't let that stuff I do know about rule over me. And then the psalmist says, in these, if these things happen, then I will be blameless. So blameless here is not perfection, but it's being able to walk with a clean conscience before God, forgiven of the stuff I don't even know about and the stuff I do not mastered by it. I think this is important as we think about racism, because I think we often put racism in a camp of stuff we know about. You know, I'm not a racist is what you hear people say. And as believers, we definitely should absolutely not be. But at the same time as believers, we should never underestimate our ability to fool ourselves. We're here not to see things. What the key is, here is, is that admitting there is stuff that you can't see or that you still need to see is not a cause for shame or guilt. you know, say that again, admitting there's stuff in your heart that's not right, that you aren't aware of yet is not a cause for shame or guilt. You can actually still be blameless even though there's stuff that you haven't seen right. It's true. You know, God loves you and you can be walking with him but there's still stuff we all need to see in our hearts. I think we actually need to be comfortable with this idea that there's always stuff there we don't know about. So psalmist here is not trying to make you feel guilty or for what you're not even doing on purpose. He's just saying it's there. And he ends the psalm by saying, if we take a look at those last words, he says, may uh, these words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's our desire to be pleasing to God in all we say, think or do yet knowing there are things that aren't right. And he can, in Psalm 139, in a similar way, at the end, he says, search me, oh God, right? This is the God who is, as Psalm 39 says, he does know us. But now the psalmist is saying, I'm opening myself to you, search me, oh God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, these verses have helped me as I've been reflecting on racism this past year because it helps me not to approach the question with a sense of guilt or condemnation, but with a sincere heart that says, God, help me see this as you see it. Are there ways I'm not thinking right or speaking right? I want to know it, Lord. I want to see this as you see it. So with that in mind, let me give you some of my thoughts and some of the things I feel like God has spoken uh, to me about. I know every sermon is my thoughts, but I think especially here, I'm less doing an exposition of scriptures where I am seeking to teach you what the Bible says, as I'm trying to apply kind of biblical ethics to the world I'm living in. That requires an interpretation of culture and politics and history, which I don't feel nearly as confident and trained in as I do theology. So all that to say, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, please. Now, before I get into some of the things I think we need to be thinking about, I wanna talk about some of the reasons you may not want to talk about it right now. Frankly, some of the reasons I wince, and maybe you're wincing. And you don't even feel like talking about this subject, especially here. Well, one of them, uh, which I alluded to at the top, is it's this is a conversation often dominated by labels and name calling without people doing the hard and difficult work of defining and correctly applying them. And the terms tend to become weapons you throw around. I think in a, a bigger issue sometimes is the issue of racism. At least now, and it wasn't this like a year ago, but now it seems to have been swallowed up in with a whole big grouping of issues. You know, it seems inseparable from LGBT or election or that were all these other kind of you know particularly this political grouping of issues. And the issue is, you know, being an advocate for one of these things like racism seems to make you advocating all of them. Like you're forced these days to be on one side or the other. You know, you may even want to stand against racism, but it just seems like it's so enmeshed with other things you may not agree with. And that's hard, you know, because you want to separate these things, but sometimes people won't let you. And also the issue has been swallowed up in unhealthy, in the unhealthy way all our political and social media dialogue has become. You know, we're living in this culture of outrage Where people seem to jump from one thing to be outraged about to the next. And usually the outrage involves, again, like name calling, and it's often poorly informed and reactionary. It's like a mob mentality out there. It really creates a culture of fear and frenzy. And, you know, and plus it can just be a way of looking at the world. You know, it's like through a lens that says everything's wrong and I am the righteous judge just calling it out. You know, and as a Christian, that that whole approach could be really graceless and troubling. And, you know, racism is one of the things the outragers are frequently frequently outraged about. And it feels like to get angry or want to take action about racism is to be part of this whole kind of outrage methodology. Personally, when everyone gets outraged about something these days, my gut reaction is usually to try to do the opposite just because I hate the approach. Now, you may suspect what the problem is in avoiding things that everybody's getting outraged about. What is it? Yeah, there are things you should get outraged about, and it's right to get outraged about them. And to not get engaged with an issue because of all the noise is actually as bad as only getting engaged because of all the noise. You know, either way, you're being controlled by it. You know, I like something that David Brooks said in his column in the New York Times last month. His uh, column was entitled, this is how wokeness ends and wokeness kind of is, I don't want to go into it, but it's it's like another way of talking about these outrage people. And he's going to say that you need to separate the substance of what people are yelling about from the actual yelling. So that's kind of the key here. He says, he goes, David Brooks says, as I say, there are at least two elements to wokeness. One focuses on concrete benefits for the disadvantaged. The other Instigates savage word wars. I love that phrase, savage word wars. If we can have more of the former and less of the latter, we will all be better off. You know, savage again is a great word because our di- I, our dialogues on difficult issues in our country can often feel like savage. And he talks about word wars being a of these intellectual, you know, a lot of the intellectuals, you know, creating these complex words that people are supposed to throw around. Uh, which, <clears throat> But we need to separate in our minds, as he said, the real issues from the way people may talk about it. This is key, we can't ignore an issue just because you won't like the way people are talking about it. You know, we answer to God, not to people. So let's talk now about that kind of bigger issue and why we should care about it, that issue racism, discuss it. And it's a huge subject, right? But I just wanna hit on one small piece which I think some I think which is something which is indisputable, and uh, it may be boring for some and obvious, but I think sometimes stating the obvious is good. So let's talk about one of the new terms we're all supposed to automatically understand and define, because people use it as if everyone has a shared definition, which they don't. <laughs> that term is systemic racism, and I'm not going to choose a definition. But I want to share why I heard someone describe it that I thought was actually really helpful. You know, the idea of something being systemic is essentially saying things are not random. For instance, imagine a dice. If You look at a little image there. You know, it has six sides, uh, one through six, right? And a dice is supposed to have a random outcome when you roll it. It can come up with any of those six sides. And if you roll it 100 times, it won't equally land on every number, But if you roll it 10 million times, it should come pretty reasonably close to being a good distribution. But what if it didn't? What if six came up almost half the time? You would say, it's not random. There's something wrong with the dice, right? It's not properly made. It has a systemic error. Meaning there's no hope, you know, there's no use hoping it will come up with new outcomes. If you don't do something about that dice it's going to keep on doing this because it's got a problem with the dice uh, and that's what people are saying is going on in our country that the system of our country is not random for outcomes essentially when it comes to the color of people's skin particularly black skin even more particularly african-american now everyone will say as with the dice that any number can come up on any particular role meaning that any particular person can have any outcome in our country and uh, and anybody can really do anything and it's true i believe that and they certainly do and there are tons of amazing stories we are a land of opportunity but after 10 million rolls it doesn't seem that we have a real equality of outcomes when it comes to colors of skin it doesn't appear to be random you know if a person in our country you know african-american you look at all the outcomes, you go, I don't think that's a random distribution. You know, if you looked at income, if you looked at the level of health care, if you looked at the level of education, if you looked at incarceration, right, you know, it's not a it's not equally distributed. And this is really not a controversial idea. Almost everyone sees this. You know, maybe we don't agree on how bad it is, but we all know it's there. And I think we all know it's not good. It's not what we want. It's a problem. It's a big problem. It's been around a long time. And systems don't change on their own. You can't just keep rolling the dice and think, oh, now it's gonna change. This will keep happening unless something is done. Now, of course you may be running right now in your mind to the controversial piece, right? What's the controversial piece? Well, why is it like this? Why do we have this system? How did it get like this? How can we change it? Well, it's the nature of systems that they are exceptionally complex. You know, there's gonna be lots of theories and lots of ideas. If it was easy, it would be fixed. And the one thing we need to face up to is by recognizing it on a system level, it means it just keeps happening even when people don't want it to. That's a key idea. People don't want that. (laughs) We don't want, no one wants the system. I don't believe that, you know, but it keeps happening. Like what happened with the PPP loans last year? If you remember the uh, payroll protection plan, this is a classic example. Uh, You know, I think we can all comfortably agree that no one wanted the money given out in those loans and the stimulus to favor certain businesses or people groups, right? No one wanted that, but it actually happened. How? Why did it happen? Here's the crazy thing it was all through good intentions, right? The idea was to do loans, right? To incentivize business rather than just giving money, right? The loans will incentivize businesses not to lay off their workers. That's a good idea, right? And they thought, let's not put the government in the loan business either. Let banks do the loans. That's what they're good at. It's a great idea, way more efficient, use market expertise out there. So why didn't it work? Well, having banking connections and knowing how to work with banks and having the manpower to get together all the stuff you'd need to get those loans is not really equally distributed, right? If you were a small business without those connections, or you just didn't have the time to figure it all out, all this loan stuff, you didn't get the loans. And those types of businesses were many immigrant owned businesses or other poor businesses, but the folks with, you know, better connections, more established business practices, they all got the loans that's when you know you have a system problem, right? Because when things happen that no one wanted to have this happen, you may think that someone wanted this, like people in Congress or loan officers of banks. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe anyone wanted this to happen. And I don't think people really foresaw it would happen. But that's like how system problems work. They just kind of, it just keeps, it just happens. And you can't stop it. Now, as a Christian, for me one of the radical things i think about how the bible thinks about this the bible actually comes in a world in time when it was presumed to have people of varying status and privilege you know where there were built-in systems but no one was actually worrying about getting rid of them they kind of liked the systems but the bible then is trying to break down those barriers and saying no get rid of those barriers you know paul says in uh, colossians it, it encourages people to put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, right? Foundational idea all throughout the scriptures, everyone's made in the image of God. There is no separation, right? Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, Christ is all and is in all. All are made in the image of God. You know, uh, particular types of folks or systems of folks getting different distributions of what God has given to all into the world to enjoy and be thankful for that's part of the brokenness of the world and i know this issue is much much bigger but i think this is a simple thing we can all agree on you know (laughs) it's not how it should be right now and i think it can be helpful to stick with the basic stuff you know i liked recently um what uh, Jalen Brown said don't put it up just yet you know he Jalen Brown's well oh he's a if you're not a basketball fan you're not gonna know who I'm talking about but recently a couple of weeks ago Kyrie Irving came to town playing the Celtics and he was actually uh, insinuating that Boston's a racist place and so they actually asked Jalen Brown about it because he's very thoughtful about this stuff and has spoken a lot about those issues and he basically responded you know the talk about people being you know, all this like again the kind of name calling racist or not as Boston, It just doesn't do much good. He said the bigger problems are obvious. And this is what he said. Just saying, here's the big stuff, right? He goes, the incarceration rate is ridiculous. The wealth disparity is embarrassing. The inequality in education, specifically in Boston public schools, needs to be better. Uh, you know, it was just like, it was, come on, guys. Easy, unequivocal stuff right? Uh, And he didn't get into. he says, look guys, we have those problems. So now where do we start personally with this, right? I'm actually going to suggest just one simple thing, right? Just one simple thing this morning. I actually think, it. I'm not asking you to start with becoming an activist or starting to talk to people or trying to fix this problem. I think it begins with our hearts and asking yourself if you really care. I've had to admit to myself this past year, but I've always kind of known about this problem was there and I cared, but I don't think I really cared like I should. I don't think like I believe God would really want me to care. I don't think it hurt like it should. And again, and, and like in Psalm 19, right? Maybe you've been sincerely blind to it, right? And you just kind of lived your life. And frankly, this is not this is not a bad thing, but if you're a person, when you know, when the dice comes up six, that kind of benefits from that, you're not going to be thinking about it, right? It's not a pain point for you. And you aren't evil because you haven't thought about it. Honestly, don't feel guilty. So many people look at this conversation feeling condemnation and guilty. Just don't, right? I'm just saying, are you willing to ask God if he wants you to think about people who have those numbers that don't come up as much? And certainly, you can't resent those people whose numbers don't come up or standing up and saying, hey, this has got to stop, you know, they feel the pain of their numbers not coming up. They are keenly aware of their pain, even if you aren't. Again, this is not about thinking you should feel guilty or responsible. This is just about caring. You know, there's a book I think the New Justice people are going to, going to be recommending this summer reading, and I'm sorry if they're not, <laughs> but it's a it's a great book. It's called Weep With Me and it was actually by Mary Phillips' pastor, but he talks about the journey of learning to really care and coming to terms with how much he didn't care and really beginning to lament at the injustices, you know, lament at history. You know, slavery should make us all weep. The kind of laws that were in place in our country just just 50 years ago should make us all weep. When we think of how passive the church was in the face of so many of these injustices, we should weep lament is learning is about learning to let it hurt. You know, that pastor realized it didn't hurt like it should. He knew it up here, but it didn't have the pain in here. And I think once it hurts, then we can really be ready to let God lead us. It doesn't mean you necessarily become, uh, you know, don't jump the gun and say, oh, maybe part of that crowd or these politics it doesn't mean that everyone's idea about, you know, how to fix it is a good one. And you don't need to agree with everyone talking about it. You know, something you certainly wouldn't, won't and shouldn't. There are lots of ideas out there, good and bad. But maybe by beginning to care, you'll become far more informed and far more engaged. And you know something, it's a very different conversation when you have two people who passionately want to change a system, but just disagree on the way to do it. So all I am suggesting today is can we all open our hearts to God and sincerely ask him to show us how he sees it and how he wants us to see it. Search me, O oh God. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Oh, Lord search us, see if there is any offensive way. Lord, we want to see the world as you see it. We wanna understand it, Lord, in this world with all this stuff going on, all these conversations, Lord, where should we be? How should we see it? How should we understand it? And Lord, our hearts, Father, we want our hearts to break the things that break your heart. We wanna weep with those who weep. We wanna stand alongside the hurting. Oh Lord. How can we be your hands and your mouth in the midst of this world now? Show us, O Lord. Forgive us our hidden faults. And keep our willful sins, Lord. May they not rule over us. And then we'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression, Lord. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Our rock.
0: Redeemer. And let us all say.